0: need to light a couple of candles, don't I? Probably should have done it at the beginning. That's my non-electronic personality, I guess. What was last week's candle in the Advent theme? Hope. It's kind of like I hope that'll light. I'm do it this way. I don't light my shirt on fire here. And this week's theme is faith. Call it the Beth, the Bethlehem candle. And uh, it's referred to as the candle of faith because it reminds us that the prophets foretold the coming of the Messiah and that the Messiah would be born in a specific place. Hundreds of years before the event occurred, they spoke in the book of Micah, which we'll look at shortly and briefly, um, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And believers in the scriptures throughout the ages uh, looked forward in faith to the fulfillment of that. They were looking for the Messiah to come and knew that he would be born in Bethlehem. So we call this the Bethlehem candle, the candle of faith. Even those that didn't believe the prophets knew that he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem was well known, even for those who didn't choose to put their faith in God. Amazingly, among the unbelievers, you can imagine this, were the religious leaders of the day. You know, the religious leaders, when this event occurred that we'll be talking about today, if you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, we can start there. That the religious leaders, when this event occurred, wouldn't even travel the few miles between Jerusalem and Bethlehem to check it out. Kind of puts them in the classification of unbelievers. They were supposed to be men of faith, leaders of faith. But when they had their moment, they didn't exercise it. But the Magi did. The Magi traveled for months following the star, looking for the truth and looking for the reality of the prophecy coming to pass about the coming Messiah. Chapter 2, Matthew says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or Magi, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, have come to worship him. You know, worship and faith need an object. And I hope we talk through this today a little bit that we'll understand that our worship and our faith do already have objects now. Whether or not it's focused on God, whether or not it's God himself, whether or not it's Jesus the Messiah, we do have something we're worshiping now. And our worship, which we are built to be worshipers, God made us to be worshipers. It's in us to want to worship. It's our makeup. And so if we're not focused in our faith and we're not focused in our worship on the correct object, we will be worshiping and placing our faith in something because it's how we're built. It's how God built us. When Herod the king heard this in verse 3, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Good news and bad news travels fast. (laughs) And when he had gathered all the chief priests, that's Herod, when he gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and this would be Micah chapter 5, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. <coughs> Pastor Rob mentioned this last week in his message, that this is one of the, the various uh, prophecies that it was fulfilled in the birth of Christ. That the exact location was made known by prophecy. It takes faith to believe these things, doesn't it? It takes faith to believe what God says. It says, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, right, the news had already spread through town that these guys were here from the east. They had some pretty prestigious visitors to their community. Uh, guys riding in on their camels with all their regalia probably and they've been traveling for months they were well equipped they were financially independent people they were great businessmen they had all they needed and when they showed up people noticed why are they here? the question would be asked and like, well let's find out well they're here to find out where the Messiah was going to be born they're here to looking for the fulfillment of the prophecies and so Once Herod figures out from the religious leaders where the answer in the book is, Micah chapter 5, that he's to be born in Bethlehem, he calls the wise men secretly. Because he doesn't want everybody to find out what his plan is. What is his plan? He called them secretly and determined from them what time the star appeared. Tell me, when did it show up? They talked to him about that. When he sent them, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for, for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. By the way, it's, I think it's probably should be common knowledge, but I think it is uncommon. The Magi were not there at the birth of Jesus that came later, right? And if you're not unaware of that, you should be made aware of that. We often have our little crash there, our little manger scene, and we got the wise men there, and they weren't really there yet, but it's okay to have them. It's okay to have them. Don't feel condemned. They are included in the story. You know who you never see at the manger scene in your little set? John the Baptist. He was pretty important in the project too, wasn't he? Announcing announcing Herod feigns that he wants to worship this child but he's laying a plan when they heard the king they departed and behold the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was when they saw the star they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts are significant in themselves. Then being divinely warned, what does divinely mean? By God. God warned the wise men. Being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country by a different route. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to what? Destroy him. Kill him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Another prophecy being fulfilled. And Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem, in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Unfortunately, here's another prophecy being fulfilled in this. It says it was fulfilled, but was spoken by Jeremiah, the prophet saying a voice was heard in Ramah lamentation, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Herod was laying a plan to take out anybody that would challenge his kingdom. This new king would not have his throne. So he said secretly to the wise men, go find him. You do the work, go find him. We got the information from the prophecy here. Uh, We know the town. We know the timing. You go find him and then come back and report to me, and I'll come and worship him too. Herod's worship would have been with a sword to take out any challenger to his throne. But God is no dummy. Amen? Amen? I mean, God's way ahead of Herod. This is unfortunate that men think they can outsmart God. Anybody do that this week? (laughs) So there's a song that we sing this time of year, and you're going to help me, I hope. Should I turn these microphones around? No. But actually, I just want to review it together. Uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem. I hope you can't get this song out of your mind all week. I just want to put the words up and you can read along with me. Don't sing yet. I just want to review the song. I like the way the songs have been written that incorporate the season and scripture and theology all at once. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. It's a quiet evening. Yet, yet, In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. And hopefully the L is capitalized, right? Because it's talking about Jesus. The same one who in the Gospel of John chapter 1 said, The light has come into the world and lit every man. The capital L light, the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met. In thee tonight. In thee meaning in Bethlehem. Here it is. The hopes and fears of all the years. All of the years of the prophetic have come to pass tonight in your little town. Bethlehem. For Christ is born of Mary. And gathered all above while mortals sleep. The angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together, and if this is an interesting phrase because some some of us might not understand this, the morning stars is in reference to angelic worship. In Job, it talks about the morning stars singing together the praise of God. The morning stars is a reference to angels, not just the stars. O morning stars together, proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King. And peace to men on earth. And in this song is the reference to the passage of the great event that happened out with the shepherds in the field, right? Where this angel appears and begins to tell them about what's happened. And then suddenly there's this, all the morning stars together. All the angelic hosts show up singing, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace to men. And then what do they do? They leave their sheep and they run into town and they determine that it's true. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And just a few moments ago, I know we went kind of quickly during the communion, but if you were one of those hearts that was crying out for the Lord Jesus to come in, Guaranteed, he answers your prayer. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. And he enters into the place of our sin and removes it by his own power and his love. And sets us free from our past and gives us a new future and a hope. And says all things are made new. You know, I really believe that when Paul wrote that for us in Corinthians said that that if any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, if any child be in Christ, they're a brand new creation. It doesn't mean that you're sort of a remodel job. It doesn't mean that God took the leftover parts of your brokenness and said, let's see what I can do with this. See how I can reshape it and remake it. It says you're a new creation. That the old you, the one that was lost in the In dead, in the trespasses of sin, the spirit man inside of you who was dead to God has been born again, Jesus says. And in that being born again, you're a brand new creation. Well, the outside doesn't change much. The demeanor will. The attitude will. The display will change. Right? Hopefully. You're not the same old grumpy you that you used to be. Right? You're not the same old forlorn person. You've got hope now. And there's something that springs alive in you. And people say, what's the change I see in you? What's this new demonstration of you love people? You used to hate people. Now you love people. You used to be angry. You're not angry anymore. You used to be a cheater. Now you don't cheat anybody anymore. What's the deal? What happened with you? And if I happen to look at you as I was saying some of those things, let's let it be Holy Spirit driven, okay? (laughs) I mean, if he's... If I looked at you and I said cheat and thief, well, he knows. (laughs) But it wasn't purposeful on my part. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in to stay. He doesn't come to lift, come to lift, come and go, come and go. He comes to stay. Now, what's your fourth verse? Mhm. There's actually a fourth verse that sneaks in, and I'm going to come back to it though. You don't have to put it up. I'll go to this one. Oh, holy child of Bethlehem. Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, oh come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. The Christ. The fulfillment of the prophecies. The one. There's only one. I've I've used this illustration lots of times. I never tire of it. You may, but I don't. And that is that Josh McDowell, in one of his books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, uses the mathematical laws of probability to estimate a picture of what the mathematical probabilities are of one man fulfilling eight prophecies in one lifetime. Okay? get it? Any one person living their life actually fulfilling eight of the prophecies of Scripture, here's the probability. He draws the picture this way, because the number, I can't even quote, it's something like 20 quintillion or something. You know, it's like a two with 40 zeros behind it or something. He says, think of it this way. Take the state of Texas and fill it with silver dollars. Two feet deep. The whole state. And then take one, paint it red, and throw it anywhere you want to into the state. Stir the state. Blindfold the person, the person of faith blindfold a person and say reach into the state of Texas and pull out the red silver dollar on the first try. And if they could do that that are the, that is the same mathematical probability of one person fulfilling eight prophecies in their lifetime. Uh, to me that's pretty phenomenal. Now let's take it to the next level. Jesus fulfilled more than 40, not just eight we had to stop somewhere. We couldn't have numbers too big. We couldn't relate. Jesus fulfilled 40 prophecies in his life. There is no other Savior. There is no other Lord. There is no other God. Amen. Amen. Would you like to sing this song? Um, Are you going to give me a place to start? He said he would. I'm not I'm actually asking for him to do what he said he would, not being freaked out at not having any help. And and is somebody gonna advance that for us? Okay. And these are unmuted? faith the verse that's not presented to us very often says this where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child where misery cries out to thee son of the mother mild where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door the dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. It's faith that holds the door open so that Christmas can come again. We celebrate year after year. And and uh, if you've been down the road I've been down, it's not a pleasant one, where we become uh, the grumpy bah humbug pastor. and. Uh, <laughs> And you begin to despise the climate of commercialism that is around us. And, and uh, you get in the wars with like the American Family Association and duking it out with all the companies that don't want to say Christmas this season. They want to make it a holiday tree, not a Christmas tree. They, want, they don't want to put the name of Jesus on anything. I used to get really upset when I'd see the sign "Xmas." Does that just upset you? Let me change it for you. In the Greek, the X stands for Christ. So it really says Christmas. Just most people don't know it. I didn't know it. I just get, don't X my Jesus out. Well, it may have been put that way, but truly the X is putting him in. So I learned how to get happy about it. And where faith holds wide the door... Christmas comes again. And we get to celebrate it all over again. And it's it uh, feels a little awkward at times to take the Lord and Savior and put him back in the manger. But well, what a great remembrance this season for us that he came on our behalf. I was talking with Peggy just yesterday as we were driving home, and I said, what's your greatest story of faith? And we didn't decide on one. But I did decide this, that you don't have to go very far from the Bible to find great stories of faith. I think about the Daniel chapter 2 and 3 where you find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel uh, in Babylon in captivity in a nation of heathen. These Hebrews are there. And, uh, of course, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and I'll I'll just paraphrase this for you, but it is Daniel 2 and 3. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Nobody can interpret it, but Daniel comes and says, uh, There is a God in heaven who interprets dreams. And he interprets the dream for the king. And Nebuchadnezzar actually bows down in front of Daniel and commands that they bring an offering and incense before Daniel, which generally a good Hebrew would say, Don't worship me, right? I'm not God. But at the end of this process, Nebuchadnezzar takes Daniel and sets him up as the administrator, the chief administrator of all Babylon. So you got a good little Jewish fellow taking care of this pagan nation. And after that, Daniel turns to Nebuchadnezzar and talks to him for a minute says, you know, I'd, I'd really like some help with this new job you've given me. Uh, I have three guys that I could recommend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, no problem, you be the chief administrator over uh, all the wise men of the whole kingdom, and your three guys here—Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego—can be in charge of all of the activity of the nation. So these four guys come into power and leadership in a place where they, where God is not even worshipped. And in the next, in the chapter, the third chapter, Nebuchadnezzar makes this huge idol. You can go and read about it and get all the dimensions, but it's huge. And he makes a declaration, he says, now when the music plays and all the instruments come into an orchestra, great orchestra and music is played, everybody in the kingdom must bow down and worship this great idol that I've put out in the center square here. And uh, after that happens a couple of times, a few of the Babylonians come to the king and say, there's a problem. He said, what's the problem? He said, well, there's some of those Jewish guys who won't bow down when the music plays. He says, Really? We'll bring them in here. So in comes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He says, you guys, I'm going to play the music one more time. And if you don't bow down, then I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Because that's the edict. That's the law I made. You know, probably did the old signet ring on the law and everything. That's the way it is around here. Everybody has to bow down. And they said, king, you don't even have to play the music. Because we can tell you ahead of time, we're not going to bow down and worship that thing. We serve the only true and living God. As Hebrews, we worship the God we know. We don't worship stuff like this. So we can tell you, you don't have to play the music because we're not going to do that. He And he gets really angry. He commands his guys, fire that furnace up seven times hotter than normal. Tie them up. With their clothes on and everything, just tie them up and throw them in. Well, evidently the furnace had an upper entry point of some kind because It says that the guys that grabbed them to throw them in the furnace as they took them up, as they got close to the fire they were throwing them into, it killed the guys that brought them. It was so hot that the guys doing delivery were killed. And then the king jumps up off his little area there and and looks in and he says, hey, didn't we throw three guys in there? There's a fourth one in there though, and he looks like, and some versions like to write it this way, he looks like the son of God, which I believe is the truth. But the actual Hebrew may say something more like, he looks like a son of God with a little s. I'd rather write it, it looks like the son with a capital S. The son of God. There's a fourth man in there, and they're all walking around talking in there. <laughs> wow! He brings them, bring those guys out of here. How do you think they got them out? I, uh, these, these accounts of the Bible are fascinating to me. I mean, did one of the other soldiers say, "Well, you know, be okay if I just called from here?" Cuz I saw what happened to Louis. He got burned out. I don't Hey y'all come out. Anyway, they come out, and the Bible says they don't even smell of smoke. There's no residue of being in the fire on them with one exception. The one exception? Everything that they tied him with has been burned off. Now, this takes faith. It takes faith for us to believe and accept that as a biblical account, right? But I'm not talking necessarily about our faith yet. I'm talking about their faith. They had faith to stand. And literally, when everybody else was bowing down, they stayed upright. When everybody else was bowing down to the worship of the world in the moment, they stood upright. Their faith caused them to stand In adverse circumstances. They believed in a God. And they said this about him. Our God. You don't have to play the music. We're not going to bow down. We have faith to stand. And we're going to stand in the face of this moment. And this adversity. And this difficulty you're putting us into. Because. Our God is able to deliver us. From your furnace. And even if he doesn't. It's okay with us. We're still not going to bow down and worship idols. That's faith. That's a belief. That's a relationship with God that's real. This is the same kind of faith that all the early apostles, the early disciples demonstrated. Every one of the 12 apostles died a martyr's death. You don't die for somebody you don't believe in. Right? Their faith took them to the ultimate moment of dying for their faith. As a witness for Christ. The three Hebrew guys have faith to stand. Our God is able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't. Have you ever come to a point in your life where you've had to exercise this kind of faith? Say, well, maybe yours wasn't a fiery furnace, literal fiery furnace, but you were in a troubled time. And there were things that you were facing that there's just no way to fix. There's no way out. The only way out has got to be God. He has to come through and do something that man can't do, that I can't do. My resources are empty. My abilities are gone. He's going to have to show up and do this. And your faith can cause you to stand. Why? Because you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Your faith is not put in some other object. Your faith isn't focused on some um, meaningless point. Point. Your faith is focused on the King of kings and Lord of lords who came first to demonstrate his love for you. Right? Romans 5.8 still says that he demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So our faith is not misplaced when it's focused on Christ. It can help you stand in the most difficult of times. And how many you say we're in some difficult times? We're in difficult times. We live in difficult times. Ours are not even measurable compared to some countries' difficult times. But we see these as difficult times. Well, let's live by faith, not by sight. Let's live by trust in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I see these these accounts of Scripture, the three young men. The Bible tells us that Daniel was taken into captivity when he was a teenager. So for all you young men here today, he's talking about you. You too can be the leader in Babylon, so to speak. You can be those who stand upright in a world gone wrong and demonstrate truth and reality and relationship with Christ that is so meaningful that people will put you in leadership. You need to be the one showing the way because you're a person of faith and your faith is not misplaced. Let's shift gears. You know These are young Hebrew men. Well, when we talk about the Magi, we're talking about older guys, and they're orientals, they're from the east. What are they doing? They're traveling for months following a star, believing in the prophetic utterances of scripture, that when they get to the end of wherever that star is, there's going to be a baby in a manger, and that is the Messiah. They prove it with their life, their resources, their followership. I like to say about these, where the three Hebrew guys had faith to stand, these wise guys, <laughs> it always slips out, I'm sorry. They had faith to follow. They followed the star, and when they got to where it wasn't there anymore, then they inquired, uh, where's the place? And, well, it's going to be in Bethlehem. Okay, well, off we go again. And, oh, there's the star again, yes. And... uh and it stops above, That's incredible. Don't you think that a star would go right here. <laughs> I mean, that's better than the three palm trees out front of in and out, you know? Right here, is in and out. Star. I don't know where this stuff comes from sometimes.
1: It just comes.
0: It's amusing, but I'm not sure it fits. They had faith to follow the scripture. Again, faith is not just put into anything. If you can have faith, it has to be placed somewhere. It has to have an object, a landing point. And if you've ever heard the teaching, uh, you know a hyper-faith kind of a teaching, what you'll hear, if you really listen, is that we're supposed to have faith in our faith. You, said, you don't have enough faith. You've got to believe in your belief. I go, wait, wait, no, 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 stop, stop. The Bible, Jesus actually says, it's recorded in the New Testament. Jesus says, Son of God says it's kind of important. <laughs> have faith in God. Jesus said, have faith in God. Not just have faith. Random, pointless, non-focused. Have faith in God. So these wise men had the faith to follow the truth of the scripture. That's where our faith needs to be placed also. Like the people have said in the past, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Have you heard that? And the truth of that is God said it, that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, that settles it. It's beautiful when you believe it. Because now your faith has a point of focus. Your faith has a place to put itself. Your object of worship is God, not self, not man-made, not some foreign idol, not some statue. And listen, we have to convert those idol stories of the Bible to our days, don't we? We have lots of idols we can worship. Plenty of them. There are lots of other things we can place our trust in and avoid the Christ. Trust ourselves, my ability, my smarts, whatever. Uh, I, 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 and you talk to people and you listen to them and ask them, what do you trust? Where do you put your faith? It's amazing where they put it. I believe in this and that. And I believe in myself. I believe in all, all roads leading to the same place, in which I agree with. All roads but one do lead to hell. When I think about faith being in formation I think of Mark chapter 8 and 9 where you have Jesus taking the three guys right James, Peter and John and going up into the mount of transfiguration and as they're there the, and the transfiguration of Jesus begins in this incredible glow of the presence of God and God's hovering over the moment and it says Moses and Elijah are there, and Jesus is talking with them, and the whole place is lit up with the glory of God. The Bible actually tells us that Peter really didn't know what to do or say. But what he did say was, well, it's probably good that we're here because we could build three little booths, that one for Moses and you and Elijah. That'd be He's just fumbling for something to say. He's like, what's going on here? And then the voice comes from heaven, and then says, this is my son. Believe what he says. And they fall on their faces in the moment on that mount out of fear, trembling. They're in the presence of God. (laughs) And when they get up, everything's gone. It's just them and Jesus standing there. Thank you, Pastor Rob. (laughs) Such a good dad. They come down off the mountain, and the other disciples have been trying to cast out a demon, and it's not working. And Jesus casts it out, and they want to know why they couldn't. Jesus, that's when he said, this kind comes only out by prayer and fasting. And and I see the, just before they went up to the mountain, if you go and look at these passages in Mark chapter 9 and 10, um, excuse me, 8 and 9, um, they, you've got Jesus saying, Who do men say that I am? And Peter says, Well, you're the Christ, right? And he says, That's good. Man didn't reveal that to you, God revealed that to you, Peter. You've got a revelation. That I'm the Christ. And then Jesus says, And they're going to crucify me. This is shortened version here. And they're going to crucify me shortly. And Peter takes him aside and says and rebukes Jesus. <laughs> I mean, Peter's got some stuff, doesn't he? <laughs> he rebukes him and says, Lord, that can't happen, that can't happen. You you're the Christ, you're the son of God, it can't happen. And I, I'm pretty visual. So the Bible says Jesus turns and faces the rest of the disciples. And make sure they're looking. Okay? And then he turns to Peter and rebukes Peter. I mean, there's a teaching moment happening here. The Son of God just got the insight with the disciples over here, the crowd, the little crowd of disciples. And Peter's the one that says, you're the Christ. Then And he Peter rebukes Christ. And Peter, and Jesus brings him back and stands him up. So everybody's looking and goes, get behind me, Satan. I mean, these guys' heads got to be spinning about all the time. What's going on here? And right after that, he takes them up into the mountain. They see the transfiguration, fall on their faces, and hearing God's voice and seeing Moses and Elijah. These guys' faith is in, is being, uh, is in a process of formation. You know, where the three Hebrew guys had faith to stand and the three wise men had uh, faith to follow. These guys' faith is just in formation. They're seeing things happen. They're seeing miracles. They're hearing God speak. They're talking directly to the Son of God. They come down and demons are being cast out. And they're still scratching their head. What is all this about? I feel like that most of the time. You may feel similarly. That our faith is always in this process of formation. Have you ever seen or been in the process in the event of what you would Clearly, say it was a miracle. There just was no man explanation for it. God had to be involved, okay. And then, within maybe a month, you're doubting God. Yeah, that sounds like me. That sounds like us. We have faith that's kind of shaky faith at times, isn't it? And if we if we don't keep ourselves focused on where our faith should be placed, then it will become faulty faith. I want faith that stands. I want faith that follows and believes the truth. I want faith that is in formation and process and growing. I don't want faulty faith. I don't want faith in other things. It's not my job that makes life happen. It's not my surroundings. It's not where I live. It's it's not my relationships with people. It's not my mate or my children or my boyfriend or my girlfriend that makes life the reality that it is. I mean, All those things are great parts of it. They're great supplements to my life or your life. But we can't put our faith there, can we? We can't put our trust there. The little guy that just ran in and out, I was at his house a couple of weeks ago. He says, come here, I want to show you something. Uh-uh. I said, okay. He says, no, you just stand right there and catch me. And, bef- and I mean before I could blink he just let go and leaned back and I caught him he goes that's called trust I said, yes. I said well thanks oh, thanks for the lesson and, uh, I, but I was the object of his trust and I could have failed I didn't and we did it two or three more times with me knowing my part which was very helpful, and we had a great experience of doing trust. I didn't. We didn't. I, we didn't reverse it. I, okay, your turn. You know, flatten the poor kid. But but it's true that when the Bible says we place our trust in Christ, it means we lean back the full weight of who we are into Him. That's actually in the Greek. Lean the full weight of your trust into Him to the point where you can't. Bring yourself back up again. It's that point of no return where you've leaned back so far that he has to be the one who catches you. That's faith. That's trust. And with the Bethlehem candle, the candle of faith, uh, let's keep it lit up all week in our hearts. Let's be people of faith. Let's understand we're not trusting just in anything. We're trusting in the very God that made the universe and His Son who came to die in our place. Our trust is not misplaced. Our faith is not misplaced. Amen. 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 Father, this morning I'm so grateful for Your Word. I'm so grateful for those who've gone before us, who have lived out lives of faith and trust in You. and, And You've given us the end result of seeing their faith processed. Lord, we don't see the end result of ours yet. We have you know those moments, Father, where we've seen it happen, where we've walked through it, where we've seen the miracle. We've we've known You're touched. We've seen Your provision in times where it had to come only from You. And we are thankful, grateful people for these moments. Lord, we pray that You would continue to form our faith. Help us to be more and more accurate in where we place our faith and trust. Lord. And in it, we pray that you would help us to touch others with it as well. That we would share this faith, this delight we have in you, this ability to trust for the unbelievable things with those who need it most. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me read it to you one more time. Where children pure and happy pray to the blessed child. Where misery cries out to thee. Son of the Mother Mild, where charity stands watching and faith holds wide the door. The dark night wakes, the glory breaks, and Christmas comes once more. Merry Christmas to you. Have a great day.